Hello, everybody. This is Kevin Witham, and welcome to Season 3 of the Common Grounds Unity Podcast. Jesus valued unity and prayed for it, that we may all be one. We believe unity is best achieved through relationships rather than beginning with disagreements over doctrine, practice, or ideology. We value the gathering, breaking bread and sharing a cup of coffee or your favorite beverage. We invite you to gather with another Christian outside your particular family of churches and tell others that unity starts with a cup of coffee. So grab a cup and let's get started with another episode of the Common Ground Unity Podcast. Welcome back to part two of last week's podcast. Thanks for being with us and we're going to pick up the conversation where we left off. Doug, if, if somebody's sitting out there and they're, they're hearing Daryl and Will in, in this discussion talking about these benefits and, you know, maybe they're in a place where they're wondering, you know, is it, is it time to build? Is it time to purchase? You know, what, what, are some of the, what are some of the questions they need to ask themselves and what are some of the ways you, your organization can help them determine that? What are some of the first steps they should take with Solomon Foundation? Well, one of the first steps they can take is is to contact us through our website. We can come out and do an initial consultation to help the church really figure out what size of building they need, you know, what, what the key ingredients are. I, I would say 80% of our business plan is it really evolves around helping the churches that have never had a building. That is the vast majority of our business. And uh, so we have a lot of younger dynamic churches in that mold, like Daryl and Will both, uh, churches that, you know, kind of wandered around the suburbs of D.C. for two decades and then, boom, realized that they needed a building. And um, our, our uh, goal is not to just come in and tell the church, hey, you need a building. Uh, what we like to do is churches that acquire a box a big box or churches that build from ground up, we like to tell them to go on a road trip and we'll recommend they go see five or six different churches uh, so that those churches can tell them what they did wrong and what they did right and learn from that process uh, so that the next time we do it, um, everything gets done better. Uh, probably a classic story of that is uh, East Point Christian Church in uh in Portland, Maine, the largest church of any stripe in the state of Maine is a Christian church called East Point. And uh, they wandered around the suburbs of Portland a lot. And the bottom line was uh, they couldn't find a building. And all of a sudden, the Home Depot came up, came, uh, up for sale. So we bought the Home Depot. And uh, before we bought it, we said, OK, um, this building's 95,000 square feet. Uh, we're not trying to tell you what you should build and should not build. They thought they needed 35,000 square feet. We put them on a road trip to go see three other facilities and churches about that same size. And they came back to our office here in Denver. And I'll never forget it. Scott Tobby, the senior pastor coming in before he even sat down in the chair. He says, we need to build 95,000 square feet. Uh, so we knew that's probably what he wanted to build, but we made sure they came to that conclusion. Uh, and of course, one of the key things in acquiring boxes and buildings, existing buildings for us, that's a big part of our business plan, probably about 50 percent 
Uh, we've done over 30 grocery stores across the country that are now uh, churches, not grocery stores, they're churches. We did a Walmart. We've actually done two Walmarts, a Home Depot, great school that Daryl talked about. But in our program, we have something very unique that is not just offered to everybody, but key situations. So for both Daryl and, and Will, the biggest challenge they had when they went to buy the building was most of the time sellers will laugh at churches because when the church presents their balance sheet, the first question is, how are you going to buy this building? Uh, so we have a program at Solomon that we go in as the buyer. Uh, so in both cases of these two churches, we went in and said, uh, we're the buyer. We're the Solomon Foundation. We have $150 million in cash and we have a balance sheet of $700 million. So here's our offer. Our offer is all cash. Let's get to work. Uh, so to give you an example, the, the Home Depot building in Portland, Maine, was on the market for $7 million. Uh, when we got done, we bought it for $4.2. Uh, so we used our balance sheet to leverage that for the church. And then what we do at closing is we flip the title into the church's name, and then they, they take out a mortgage with us. But they leverage the balance sheet of the Solomon Foundation to their benefit. I want to dig just a little deeper into a question that's that's been addressed to a degree. So I'm, uh, you you've already shared some of the value of moving into a permanent facility, but I, you know we've got a lot of listeners who are probably meeting in schools, meeting in community centers, meeting in libraries, and and they're wondering, you know, do do we have the wherewithal? And and Doug, you've given us a pretty good path for people to get in touch with Solomon and evaluate that. What is doable? But what, what would you suggest to people that are out there wondering kind of what is, what do we evaluate to determine whether or not we're ready? Um, what, what would this step result in? Again, you've addressed that to a degree, but maybe expand a little bit on that. What are the tipping points that say, hey, we need to do this for the future of the church in your minds, in your uh, view. Could you contribute a little bit to that conversation that I know is going on in a lot of churches across the country? Yeah, I think the first thing is uh, COVID changed the world. Uh, and it changed the church world dramatically from the standpoint that uh, all of a sudden school districts and municipalities had the opportunity to say no to churches. And a lot of churches that uh, coming out of COVID, if we wouldn't have put them in a building, they would probably not be a church today. So I think that being in the, in the temporary facilities uh, is a hindrance to the church uh, because they don't know what Sunday the movie theater is going to call and say, hey, sorry, we're going to have a movie at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. You can't meet because uh, that happens a lot. Uh, what we've seen with churches that are in, in rented facilities, that when they announce they're going to a new facility or they put a sign up that they're building a new building between the time they start construction to the time they move in we see churches grow anywhere from 15 to 25 percent even before they've even moved into the building okay we've also seen basically churches that move into their first building will see 50 percent growth in six months and a doubling in 18 months. So I think the biggest thing that I think of when uh, churches uh, need a facility, a permanent home, 
is the evangelistic outreach that they have to bring people to Christ that would have never come if uh, they didn't see that permanent building. I think the other thing is a lot of people look at churches in temporary locations or rented locations and actually say, I wonder how long that one's going to last. I think there's a lot of that out there. So I think the permanent home is uh, something that that allows the church to grow and expand. And then, you know, Daryl hit it on the head talking about, I call it the same thing, Daryl, the 24-7 effect where you've got a facility that you can operate in 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And basically you can have schools, events, partners, um, all kinds of things um, that are an outreach to the community. You know, East Point, when they did the Home Depot, they put in a small indoor soccer field, uh, which was a great addition in, in that climate and that part of the country. But every Sunday afternoon, they made the, the soccer field available to the Muslim youth group in the community to play soccer in the Christian church. Uh, again, if you're renting a facility, you're not going to have that opportunity for outreach. So I think outreach is the key. I want to weigh in on this as well. Doug, great answer. Let me just share a little bit about my background. My, my grandfather actually started, uh, at least along with my grandmother, uh, they were very integral in terms of helping some of the African-American Churches of Christ uh, start in Wisconsin back in the 50s. And uh, uh, just to sh- make a long story short, there was a conflict within the church. My grandfather uh, broke away with like about eight people and they start meeting in um, a back of a bar. And then eventually from meeting in the back of a bar, they, they, they purchased a little property through bonds and then they were able to grow a little bit more. A couple of things my grandfather told me, he said, he's, he's Daryl, I want you to understand this. He's, he's a minister for, for decades. He says, the church is not the building, it's the people. Whether you're meeting in a bar, whether you're meeting in a home, or if you were able to put our money together and purchase a little property, it was clear the church is, is a body and not a building. And taking that to the next level, coming through my college years, ministering to students on the campuses, I totally agree with that, you know, the, um, that the church is a people, not a building. But I think I went too far with that. I started to become anti-church <laughs> in my ideology, saying, man, we could take all the money and just constantly put it in the staffing. And I probably went too far because I became an anti-building person. But now I think just reasonable. The church buildings are a neutral idea. It's not good or bad. It's just a tool. It's just something that can be used for the benefit of God. Yes, I know when we look at the book of Acts, we don't see church buildings until maybe 200 years after the beginning of the church. But that doesn't mean it's right. It doesn't mean it's wrong. Every congregation just has to weigh in on the life cycle of that congregation. What's the best benefit for us? I think some churches ought to just sell their building <laughs> and maybe break up into house churches, whereas other churches uh, ought to just comp- you know compile their money so that they can have a facility that, that can be a tool to reach out to a lot more people. 
So I've taken a pendulum and swung it a couple of different ways. I think I think I'm at a better place right now in my ministry ideology and strategy. It is a ministry center. We don't even call it a church. We we are so intentional about calling our worship facilities, worship facilities, ministry center. We have just outlawed the use of church being synonymous with our building so that the ideology will continue to the next generation that the church is really the body and not a building. It's a family and not a facility. Oh, I like that. I, I, when I was growing up, a lot of congregations would be sure to put on their sign, Church of Christ meets, meets here. here. <laughs> You're right. Will, why don't you talk about that for just a moment? Yeah. So I, I'll say, you know, building on the, the idea of just the moment that we're in, I mean, we, we are at a massive seismic change in American culture and global culture. I, I will say that this is the greatest time to preach the gospel ever. And so to Daryl's point about tools, I think a, a church building is a useful tool if it's used well. And, and I think we have to think very intentionally and, and ministers, pastors, you know, uh, boards that are trying to think about what are you doing and where are you going? I think you've got to think about how you're going to use the tool. Where we live here in Northern Virginia, um, our community, the fabric of our community is so strained. It is so tense. Um, we have such amazing people here, but coming out of the pandemic, there's so many needs in our community that having a discoverable place that people can come to, that they can be connected with is huge. You know, we built a real strategic partnership with our local police department here in the town. And the police officers, they, they contend with so many challenges, but they consider our church their church. They even asked me to, to serve in, in chaplaincy uh, you know, uh, services to help them out because we're family and we, we're able to be there for them. But there, this is a place that our police officers consider home. This is a place that our teenagers consider home. This is a place that our young families and our seniors consider home. And so I think using a facility to preach the gospel, but also to bind up the wounds in our community is I think uh, the, what I really think of. And I, I will tell you, I think the our country is more open and more desirous of authentic Christianity than ever before. So I say, get all the tools you can get, use them to the most that you can, because the time is now for us to really be about being the church. Hey, everybody, we'll be right back with the rest of this episode. We want to take a moment to thank Mission Alive and Central Christian College of the Bible for sponsoring this episode. Mission Alive equips leaders to start innovative communities of faith focused on transforming marginal communities. They provide church planning, training, apprenticeships, consulting, and discipleship cohorts, among other resources. They can also train you to be a nationally accredited coach through Catalyze Coach Training. This 28-week credential will equip you to impact and transform your church organization leadership and ministry. Learn how God can transform your life and ministry by going to missionalive.org. That's missionalive.org or emailing them at contact at missionalive.org. And Central Christian College of the Bible has low-cost, innovative, and flexible master's programs in ministry leadership and preaching that they want you to know about. These two-year programs are designed to be one-third online, one-third on campus, and one-third supervised ministry by an expert in your interest area. 
The mentoring courses can offer credit in your local ministry. Graduates like Dr. Don Mahardy and Jonathan Curtis are impacting the kingdom in deeper, more meaningful ways because of their education at CCCB. So find out more at cccb.edu front slash graduate. That's cccb.edu front slash graduate. Doug, you know, as we were listening to you guys talk and just thinking about your extensive experience with with helping churches financially, and I think of Daryl and Will and your pastoral leadership and experience, what do you guys see as some of the the biggest hurdles for churches coming on the horizon? Or maybe it's hurdles we're already facing now, but putting your finger on the pulse of of the church. What do you guys, if you're speaking to ministers and and church members and, and leadership, What's coming down the pack that we need to be concerned about? Well, I think the first thing, uh, Chris, that's that's out there is I think we all need to realize, and I'm, I'm going to use a quote of my good friend Don Wilson, the founding pastor at Christ Church of the Valley. Uh, his quote is, we are no longer the home team. And so we have an uphill battle to start that we've got to take back our country. We've got to take back uh being Christians, we've got to be able to, uh, you know, bring people back into the church. Uh, and I think that's our biggest challenge is we're no longer the home team. We're the visiting team and we need to accept that. And we need to put strategies in place that we need to, we need to gain back being the home team. I'll weigh in. Um, Paul told Timothy to watch your life and your doctrine closely persevere them because if you do you can save both yourself and your hearers i think those are the two challenges it's, it's the, the 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 challenge of the doctrine and the challenge of discipleship and sometimes i think the doctrine piece we have to really talk about that you know i think we've created even within churchianity uh, emphasis on peripheral matters being the central matters i think we have to keep the main thing the main thing in terms in terms of what's the gospel message and hold that line in terms of the word of God. Don't let society, you know, society's going to shift. And I, I do agree that we are now um, playing, that we are not, I, I preached this a, a couple of weeks ago. We Christians cannot lean on the culture to raise the next generation. We're, we have to be countercultural, but that means we have to hold up the Bible as the authentic practical word of God and Jesus Christ, who he is, just basic things, but not to overemphasize a peripheral matter of the gospel or a doctrinal matter. I think we have to make sure that the main thing is the main thing. And then discipleship, doctrine and discipleship. That it's not just about believing some facts, but practically how we live it. Is there a distinctive that separates us from just a believing world? And I really believe this is where the, the, truly following Jesus Christ. Very, you, can be, you can be a church attender and not a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I think the church is, should be called back to the basic matters of trusting Jesus and follow him in a practical way, which means we have to be open and humble, focused. So I think it's a doctrine matter and a discipleship matter. I think that's the greatest challenge that the church is facing in every generation. And this might look a little different, but I think those are the, the great uh, challenges and hindrances for the church to advance today. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and what I what I'd contribute to this this question, I really appreciate this conversation. It's so meaningful. Is uh, one of the books that's really shaped my thinking is a book from C.S. Lewis called The Abolition of Man. And uh, in it, C.S. Lewis talks about the fact that we're building a society of men without chests. That's people without a sense of core values. I think that the biggest threat that we face is that we live in a society that is is really uh, cultivating a culture of there being no moral center, there being no core values. And I think that that is a, a strategy from the evil one who, you know, Satan is really trying to abolish humanity. And so I do think it's not just the church that's facing an existential threat. It's humanity that I would argue is facing an existential threat. And so I think how you combat that is by us actually following the scriptures, us living out the scriptures, us being radically countercultural, um, and us really modeling what it looks like to be like the church we all aspire to be like, the, the church, the early church. I think the early church was not the home team. And they understood that. They 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 understood that they were they were fighting for society and fighting for the souls of of humanity. And I think that's the moment that we're in. And and I'm not saying that to be hyperbolic. I am honestly more excited about preaching the gospel than I've ever been at any point in my life. I'm just a few days from from my next birthday, and I'm just excited about preaching the gospel because I do think we're at a pivotal moment. And if the church would rise, as I believe the church will rise, um, then I think we're going to see something really amazing happen. If we fail to rise, God will raise up stones because he loves his children. So God's going to make it happen whether we do it or not. But I'm just excited that we have this opportunity. But I think the biggest threat is a, uh, a society with no core values. And I think we've got to be the ones that both preach that and embody it. Well, guys, what a blessing to have each of you with us today. This has just been a great conversation. I feel like it has been informational and inspirational. Um, you've, you've given us insights from your both your ministry and your, your philosophies of, of where the church needs to stay grounded and what our challenges are. So we, we've been around a, a couple of different corners in this conversation, and I just want to kind of tie things together. Um, but again, thank you all. For, for being a part of this. If you want to get to know more about the Solomon Foundation, you've gotten some good information today about it, how it comes alongside churches and, and, and really helps them financially to get into ministry space, uh, go to the solomonfoundation.org. That is the solomonfoundation.org. And there's a lot of resources and information there that you can access. There's a place to contact the Solomon Foundation. So uh, before we wrap that piece up, Doug, is there anything else you'd like to say before we get away? Yeah, I'd just like to share with you that um, the impact of the Solomon Foundation uh, is really a God-ordained ministry. Uh, Over the last 11 years, if we take a snapshot of the day we closed on 500 loans, and we take a snapshot today, those 500 churches have seen growth of 160,000 people each week in church. Hmm. But I got a better number for you guys. 
And this is what motivates our team each and every day at the Solomon Foundation. Those 500 churches have baptized over 65,000 people. Wow. Mm. So that is what our staff, all of our staff are, are from the Christian church or Church of Christ. We hire from within. And the bottom line is that's what motivates our team each and every day is being able to go to see Kenneth Locke at Evolved Church in Milwaukee recently um, when they had their grand opening last September. And over 300 people came forward the first Sunday. Mm. And since January 1 of this year to now, that church alone has baptized 400 people in five months. So that's what motivates our organization. Yes, we're a financial institution. Yes, we have to adhere by strict financial regulation, and we do. But our motivation is to baptize the next person. Oh, that's, boy, I love to hear that. It's ministry, isn't it? It's changing yes. lives. It's salvation, reaching reaching people that are unreached. Thank you for that, Doug. That's a great way to, to kind of end that part of our conversation. Hey, can you guys hang around for two or three more minutes for a little lightning round? Have a little fun with our... Uh, our listeners so they can get to know you at a little different level. Everybody in? All right. Well, so we're going to start out and I'm going to throw the first question out and then Chris is going to pick one and throw it out to you. And we'll do five or six of these and uh, just have some fun with it. But we're, we're a, you know, a group that uses coffee in our motif, you know, unity starts with a cup of coffee, right? Getting together with others and it's relational first before we ever get to um, just, building fellowship. We got to get together first. So if uh, I was to get with you, what is your go-to coffee spot or, um, or your favorite beverage to share with a friend? Each of you answer that. We'll start with you, Will, and go to Daryl and then to Doug. So I would say my go-to coffee spot is Pova Java, the Potomac Valley Church coffee shop, but it's only open on Sundays. So the other six days of the week, it's Cuppy Coffee. It's a great coffee spot. Um, uh, that's a Christian owned right here uh, in the town of Dumfries. That is a good plug for your church coffee spot to get them there on Sunday. Daryl? Panera Bread, hazelnut coffee. Because I can constantly, once it gets cold, I can empty it out and refill it with a new hot cup of coffee. And the internet is always Amen. available. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> my, my go-to is Starbucks. Got to have a pike, vente pike, no room for cream. Because I got to have real coffee. (laughs) All right. If you're from the state of Alabama, the most important question you'd have to answer is, what is your favorite college football program? The University of Wisconsin Badgers, because I'm from Wisconsin. And my dad was actually a coach years ago. He he actually was an assistant basketball coach for them as well. I'm a, I'm a graduate I'm a graduate of the University of Nebraska, so I'm a Cornhusker fan. Been a Cornhusker fan for years. In fact, when I was in college, we won back-to-back national championships. We've won five, and we're coming back. We got a new coach, but go Huskers! <laughs> and and I was a campus minister at UGA, so uh, UGA Bulldogs. I'm sorry. I know this is like tension. Now we got tension. We got to work out. All right, so so let me throw a question out to you as far as recreation. Uh, if if you were given a choice to either climb a mountain 
or jump from an airplane, which would it be? Climb a mountain. And have you done either? Yes. A little sugarloaf mountain out there in the western part of Maryland. Not too high. There's no snow caps. But at least I can get there in one afternoon. I live in Colorado, so mountain climbing is uh, obviously a, a great sport here in our state. And, uh, yeah, I don't go to the 14ers, but I get up them as high as uh, above tree line and love to hike the Rockies. Awesome. I've done both, and if given a choice, I would choose jumping out of a plane. Chris, one more. How about, how about your favorite movie all time? Favorite movie all time for me is Glory. It's a great one. Mm-hmm. I'd have to go with Forrest Gump. Nice. So my family, we're movie people. This is like the one of the hardest questions. I have so many favorite movies. But if I were to pick one right now, it probably would be Kingdom of Heaven. All good ones. Will is so spiritual. I love that about Will. <laughs> no, it, it's, about, it's, about, it's about deciding about people. It's not, not being spiritual. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. I'm not. Guys, this has been a lot of fun and good to get to know all three of you. And uh, I, I want to say, you know, for folks that are in the D.C. area or visiting there um, or in that region, go hear Daryl Reed. Uh, preach and and visit their congregation. He is with, again, the D.C. Regional Christian Church there in Washington, D.C. Uh, or if you're in that area, go hear Will Archer preach at the Potomac Valley Church. They've got two locations. You probably both have websites. What are the websites for your congregations? DCRegional.org. What about you, Will? And PotomacValleyChurch.com. But you can find us on Instagram uh, or Facebook. And uh, Chris, tell uh, you're at Westgate Church of Christ in Dothan. So if folks are in Alabama, um, uh, I want them to go hear you preach. Yes, sir. Our, our website is wcc.church. So we'd love to have you. Wonderful. Love, love people when they're traveling or if they're disconnected to get plugged into a local church. Really need that. So um, again, if you want to access information about the Solomon Foundation, it is the SolomonFoundation.org. Org, and uh, you can get more information there. Thanks so much, guys. It has been just a real uh, delight to have this conversation, to learn more, to get to know you, and we're glad our listeners have had the opportunity as well. We'll be back next week with another conversation uh, with unity-minded believers, and we look forward to you joining us once again. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Common Grounds Unity Podcast please check out commongroundsunity.org to learn more about who we are. You can subscribe to the essays, join our Facebook group, or find our YouTube channel. And please check out the gatherings page where you can connect with other unity-minded Christians in your area. If you want to volunteer or ask questions, please email john at commongroundsunity.org. And lastly, we need your help by donating to this ministry of reconciliation. Your donation is tax deductible. Links for donating are in the show notes or on our website. Until next time, God bless. And remember, unity starts with a cup of coffee.